Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, we all sat down to watch some good basketball last night, and we didn't get it. Blowouts. No good games there. Good performances by the Jazz and BYU. Plenty good enough to beat the teams they were playing. For the Jazz, we knew the Sixers were shorthanded. No MB, no Simmons. That's a big ask on the road at elevation against the Jazz, who should be a good team, even if they've lost four of the last five. And predictably, the Jazz blew it open in the second quarter and then blew it wide open in the third quarter, and the fourth quarter was all garbage time. Nobody played 30 minutes. Starters all got to rest. They don't play again until Thursday. So Jazz, after losing four out of five, get an easy win. And BYU gets an easy win. Oregon. They struggled to get open shots, and they struggled to make them on the rare occasions they got them. And BYU just wins in a complete blowout, up by 18 at halftime, or no, 19 at halftime. And, uh, and they win by 32. It was just, they just crushed them. Just absolutely crushed the Oregon Ducks. Here's Mark Pope with his post-game comments after a wire-to-wire annihilation by BYU. Guys, uh... We're, we're super excited about the results tonight. Um, this, we have so much respect for this Oregon team. I've been in this gym twice as an assistant at BYU on both times. Uh, actually, not once as an assistant uh, at Oregon, and then once in the NCAA tournament got beat both times. This is a great team. It's an incredibly potent offensive team. Uh, we, were, we knew that we were going to have our hands full uh, defending the glass and, and actually trying to guard these guys because they have five players on the floor almost all the time that can do everything on the court from shooting to driving to make plays. And so I'm super proud of our guys. I thought it was a great effort as a group, and, and uh, we're excited to kind of keep, keep trying to get better. Take any questions. Do your guys, do you, I realize a lot of stats are going to get thrown out in this game, but this is only the second time. Dana's tenure, that something quite as lopsided with the shooting percentages involved occurred. Do you have a locker room? Do you have guys who appreciate things of that magnitude beyond like the postseason resume and what this can mean for you yeah. three, four months from now and those sorts of things? Probably is enormous. Yeah. You've already beaten good teams, but to do it in this fashion, yeah. do you have guys who appreciate that this is something so lopsided and one of the biggest wins in 12 years or opponent against Orton? I think my guys are going to hear all that. I think they're just hungry to try and get better. Like we just, we feel like we have a chance to become a really good team and, um, and we wanted to get better. Like we're hungry to get better. I think the guys are really excited about the challenge they had in front of them tonight. I mean, we, you know, uh, Nick Robinson put together the scout for this, for this game. And, and we spent a ton of time honoring how potent this team is offensively and, and working on uh, trying to get locked in on exactly how we wanted to give it our best shot to manage it. Um, and I think the guys were super successful. So I think they're hungry to kind of do it again. I mean, they're going to hear, you know, all the, they're hear all the noise, but, but I, I think these guys are actually having a lot of fun. They've invested a ton. I mean, we went through three and a half weeks, two a days and, uh, you know, we have some guys who come from all over the world to be here at BYU, and, and we do it a little bit different there. And so they're just hungry right now. We knew this first three games was going to be enormously challenging. Um, and, and so we're just excited. To, I think the guys are excited to get home and then get back to work because we do think we could be a really good team. Yeah. You obviously talked about wanting your team to get better. They want to get better, but just from a coach's standpoint, what impressed you most about your team? Yeah, listen, we knew coming in we had some real problems. Oregon fixes themselves on the offensive glass, right? So in the first two games, they didn't miss any shots. But when they did miss a shot, invariably, they just went and devoured the offensive glass. And it's such a confidence builder. And for whatever reason, maybe it was partly us, maybe it was partly them. They didn't shoot the ball really well early. And so, and then we just refused to let them fix it by getting the offensive glass. I thought my guys did an unbelievable job fighting on the glass. We knew it was a huge, it was a huge challenge for us. And then we, we tried not to let them fix it in transition. We tried not to let, let them fix it by causing turnovers and getting in transition. And with the, with the exception of just a few possessions, I thought we did a great job of all the ways where we, where they normally fix the game. 
when it's not going right, I thought we were really good about saying, we're not going to let you fix it that way. You're going to have to fix it the hard way, right? You're going to fix it by making some hero shots and, and kind of finding your rhythm the hard way it is to find the rhythm. So I was super proud of our guys for that because they stayed with it all game long. Yeah. So Alex, what you did tonight, we've seen a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, we're going to do that on this stage against this team. Uh, you see out of here I mean, there's just no words left for this guy. I mean, I know the country hasn't seen him. But I don't understand exactly why, because we've been really good the last two years. But, but this is Alex Barcelo. Like, this is what he does. Like, he he goes in on the road against number twelve in the country. It's nine for eleven, and not just nine for eleven, but he does it a hundred percent in the context of how we play. He's not breaking things off and going into isolation. He's not forcing shots. He's just, he just is like become a master of what we try and do. You know, somebody put out, uh, and I'm saying this with all due respect, somebody put out like Alex Barcelo is one of the most underappreciated guys in the country or a dark host All-American. I'm like, I don't understand that. Like who in the country has done what he's done in the first three games? I mean, his first game he had 24 points in six shots Against San Diego State, he made every big play, and he rolls into number 12, Oregon, and is 9 for 11 from the field. Uh, I mean, it's just – I just don't I – don't, I don't know exactly. I mean, I'm sure he will be – I just don't understand. Like, the guy's incredible. Like, he is a star's star, and he does it exactly right. Like, he does it right. Like, he, it all blends into everything we do. He's just a – the kid is incredible, man. He's not a kid. He's a young man. He's, he's a really special young man. And, and, and it's not even the best thing he does. You know the best thing he does? He makes our locker room right. And, and so he just is he's, – he's, he's spectacular. Anyway, you can tell I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your team outscored Oregon 42-28 uh, in the paint. They've got 21-5 to advantage in points off the turnovers. I know you touched earlier on how you set up your team um, to uh, attack the class and make sure that, they, that Oregon didn't get any second chance opportunities. Can you just touch more on like how you set your team up to prevent Oregon um, from getting layups and yeah. uh, making them uh, – well, their transition starts with turnovers. They're so good about jumping and passing things. You know, kind of, it's really, it's really hard to go against this. You know, they go back and forth from this kind of matchup zone to a switching man to man. They didn't actually switch as much one four as I thought they would tonight. They didn't switch quite as much away from the balls. We we actually prepared to attack a little bit different, but they just didn't go there as much. But they they caused kind of some disorientation and put you in worse spots. They're so good at jumping and passing lanes. They're they're just extraordinary athletes and they got length and they have great anticipation. Danny does an incredible job coaching clearly. And so we just knew the first thing we had to do is we had to find a way to protect this ball. Like we had to find out, get shots on every possession. We talk about more better less worse all the time at BYU. And that's just getting more shots and better shots and giving up less shots and worse shots. And part of that is protecting the ball. And, um, and so it's, listen, and then I say all that, and it's just Alex Barcelona and T. John Lucas. Like, I'm really not that smart. I got a backcourt that's ridiculous right now. I got these two guys, like Yin and Yang right now. You know, T. John Lucas talking about making a movie this year. Like, he's like, it's going to be a movie. And he was really special tonight in terms of, you know, he gets trapped. And where most guys kind of, especially in the length of Oregon, most guys kind of freak out. And he's like, pivot, pivot, 40-foot laser to Seneca Knight for a layup, right? I mean, he just has got this poise and experience of a veteran, veteran guy in the analysis that we did. So, so really, there's not a lot of coaching going on. We just got an incredible backcourt. Yeah. Bruce uh, showed more growth against Knight, uh, very impressive. And he commented on his play, then how is he kind of hauled off the court at the end? How is he doing? Yeah, he, he better be good. I'm going to be really mad if he's not okay. Uh, I mean, just think about, you saw a couple plays. How about the offensive rebound where he comes down and he splits two of Oregon's biggest, most physical players and finds a way to explode off the ground for that little right-hand hook putback was incredible, right? And then and then you think this is a 6'6 guy, but he's a 7'3 wingspan. He ends up on his rear end, if you remember the play, and Oregon Big got a catch right at the rim, and somehow he got off the ground and vertical enough to block it at the rim. Like, 
He just has been really special. The thing about Foose that's really incredible is he's so smart. Like his defensive concepts, you know, Coach Burgess spends a lot of time with our bigs and he's done an unbelievable job coaching all these bigs. But but the way Foose has picked up our defensive schemes and concepts is incredible. And um, he's, he's, he's going to be a special player. I mean, he got thrown into the fire when he shouldn't be, right? This would be Richard Harwood, the seasoned veteran doing all the work. But, but you know, Rich had to step away health-wise for a little while. And so Foos has kind of been thrown in the fire, and he's been saving us. Like, he's been, he's been really, really good. We probably uh, focused on other stuff, but how did it feel to have just BYU chance at the Boda Center in Portland multiple times during that second Yeah, this, this, this BYU fan base – um, I'm so excited. Uh, this BYU fan base is, is I, I don't really know what to compare it to because everywhere we go when we travel, we have homegrown fans. Like, they, they, they're not traveling. We don't travel great. We travel good. But our fans are actually there. You know, we went to Houston. I still don't understand how this happened. We went to play at Houston two years, my first year. So, I guess two and a half years ago. And Houston is sold out forever. And somehow, literally, there's two sections of the internet from courtside all the way up to the rafters. It's all BYU fans. I don't know how they got in there. But it's all people that live there. And so this fan base is um, – it's really special. It's, it's, it's really awesome, and it was awesome again tonight for sure. You mentioned that one in particular. Obviously, you guys had some very nice wins in your career already. I asked you about your locker room. Do you personally, how do you personally take this? Because this was on a very short list of top victories in a yep. coaching career. And again, more in the manner in which it was done, yep. more than just the outcome itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm spending a ton of time on it. Like, you know, we, we have three pillars of our program. One is get better every day. And so if we had come in here and lost, we'd wake up tomorrow morning exactly the same as we will wake up tomorrow having won. Like, we have to get better. Like, we, 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 we're chasing something really big. That we we want to do some things. You know, we're, 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 trying to, we're trying to be great. And so this is a positive step. But we got to go tomorrow. We got to find a way to get better tomorrow. We have to. And so um, I'm, I'm super happy for our guys and happy for our fans. But, but the way, that's, that's going to be the way our players feel. It's like, this is, hey, this is really special. Listen, you don't get a chance to play number 12 very often, right? And, um, and certainly, you know, the guys perform great tonight, but we got it. We, we can go get way better. And I think that's what we're thinking about. This is, you know, this is a suit. I'm actually thinking about this more as the three game package. And, you know, we could have gotten 0 and 3 in these three games. It's scary to start the, the season against three NCAA tournament teams. And, and um, so I'm, I'm super excited. These guys can grow and be challenged while they're winning. Um, that's really. Uh, gift that, that we've been given that we were able to grow while we're winning. And um, we just got to get back to it tomorrow and work on our locker room and make sure that it's, it's getting better and, and, and figure out how to coach these guys better and play better. How do you feel about how you, what are you getting out of Gavin considering Rich is out? And yeah. He's got limited minutes. How good was Gav tonight? So I know I, I see things a little bit different, but he had a catch on a slip early in the in, in, late in the first half. It was so huge. Like his possessions like that were so big. Um, he came up with the stop, three-quarter stop where he deflected and chased to the sideline. Again, a huge play. He was good on the glass. He was good finished around the rim. I'm really proud of him. I'm super happy for him. It's been a hard, you know, so, you know, especially about, about getting to coach these guys because, like, we all know Gav's story, but, like, you know, seeing him, I'm trying, I, I want to be protective of him, but I want to tell the story. Seeing Gav run in the locker room five minutes before our exhibition game this year by himself, almost in tears and knowing what he's fought through the last two years. It just is super special. Like he's a, he's a, like you talk about a great young man, like that's got a ton of courage and is, is worked so hard when most people would have quit. Um, he's a, he is a special human being. 
And so that's how I feel about him. Like it's really special to see him progress. But I think he's got a hey, he's got a ton of basketball in him. He's got a ton. Like he's a good player. So I'm I'm really proud of him. Coach, a, a virtual question, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, kind of this game against Oregon being the end of this three-game package instead of viewing it as just the one. Um, with the way that you guys finished this three-game package, the, you know, the defense, the, the rebounding, the shooting efficiency, what do you feel like this, these three games proved about your team and what message do you think it sends to the rest of college basketball, the way that you guys finished off these three games? Well, I, I think for us, so this is what we talked about post game is we talked about, you know, I don't know anybody that does two a days anymore. Right. And I don't know who, anybody who spends as much time every single day as, as we do talking about our locker room individually and as a team and our guys, you know, those two things are just two examples of how we're trying to do it at BYU. And so, so I just wanted our guys to feel I want them to stop and feel that it's actually their work and their commitment that is they're seeing payoff and making it special. Right. Um, Cause we're always, every day we're working on becoming believers, right? We want, we want to become as a team, as a staff, as players, we want to come believers in what we do and how we do it. And so, you know, you think about this three stretch and that's probably the most rewarding thing for us as a team is like, I think we're believers. I think we've taken a big step towards being believers. We actually believe that when we come on the floor thinking about sacrificing for our team and making our teammate better and having our teammates back, it actually pays off. Right. And we would fight so hard to come into the gym every day, twice a day and bring energy. And that's not easy. It doesn't just come. You have to fight for it. So I think from these three games, I think hopefully we have a lot more belief that we continue building on throughout the season. All right, there is Mark Pope. There's a little basketball for you. Football up next. BYU, former BYU wide receiver Dylan Colley on the options that now face Kalani Sataki. And after that, Scott Mitchell on the Utes' big game with Oregon. Dylan Colley up next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After a much-needed bye week, Kalani Sitaki and the Cougars begin a two-game stretch to end the regular season on the road as they square off against the Eagles of Georgia Southern. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7 with a postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by former BYU wide receiver Dylan Cauley. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain has given free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. Dylan, good morning. Morning, fellas. How we doing? Good. So, Dylan, this may shock you, but Kalani getting asked about his interest in other schools and saying, I'm just getting ready for Georgia Southern, made a lot of people sit up straight and go, hmm. <laughs> when you heard that, what did you think? Part of the game or it meant something about his potential interest in USC and Washington jobs? Um... I think I think a little bit of both, right? Uh, in the world of coaching, it is a uh, no matter how much, right? And I know from very personal experience, right? There is no one who loves BYU football more and the BYU school more than Kalani, right? Um, also in this day and age, much like if Kalani were to spend the next two years going, you know, year even three years going three and, you know, nine, three and 12, chances are he would be fired. No matter the love that he has for BYU, no matter the love that Tom and the athletic administration has for Kalani. And so 
to sit here and say that, you know, there is no chance that he's thinking about taking those jobs or considering those jobs, uh, I think would be naive. Um, I do genuinely believe that he is able to focus in on the next few games. Uh, you know, probably with a sense of confidence that he could get those jobs pretty easily. Um, and so, you know, there is a lot of, uh, thought that goes into that. And, you know, that's why I think I'm glad I'm not in that situation. <laughs> What's it mean to be a player's coach? Because that's what he's been described as. Yeah. I think it goes back to the conversation that we were having prior to the UVA week. Um, when you think about someone who genuinely cares for the true joy and happiness for his players, uh, before he's thinking of himself on a regular basis, right? That's something that I think is a key feature of uh, a, a player's coach. Um, and someone, you know, you can tell someone's a, a true player's coach by the, like, the excitement, the joy, right, that they have in being a part of their team. Um, whether that's on the field, off the field, Right. When you're a true players coach, they are your first priority, and you make that you know very clear. Most importantly, to them, doesn't matter what the outside world thinks. But when you have that actual love for your players, um, you know they're they're like your kids, and and you show that love in, in any way a parent would. As a player, how critical are the coordinators and the position coaches? And how much do you think well, the way they are compensated, A, keeps them in place, B, keeps players in place in the transfer era? As much as we talk about coaching salaries, and I'm looking at them divvied up by conferences right now, what isn't nearly as publicized is the recruiting pool at each school, but that determines how much the coordinators and assistants are getting paid. How important are they to the players' college football experience and keeping guys from transferring, quite frankly? Unless, unless the head coach is, we're talking extremely involved in the lives of the players, right? For instance, Norm, Norm Chow, who I grew up like idolizing and wanting to play for, playing for him was a much more of an, uh, a business relationship interaction. Right, you came into meetings. There wasn't a ton of actual personal interaction with Norm, um, unless he knew you, unless you had developed a level of trust with him. Right, it wasn't like he just walked in and he trusted everybody, and everybody trusted him. He was very uh, secure in the way that you know. Hey, if I trust you and I love you, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. If I don't trust you. And I don't believe that you're benefiting our program. I really, you know, I, I'm going to be standoffish. If you need me, I'll help you, but I'm not going to just come to you, right, in a very business mentality. Um, at that moment, for those players that didn't have that type of relationship, the coordinators and the position coaches are critical, critical to people. Speak. Um, when you have someone like Kalani, who is much more personable and, and much more, you know, involved in the individual lives of his players, you know, you can look at it as like 70% on the position coaches and the coordinators with a 30% on, Hey, if someone says they're going to leave, right. Kalani has about a 30% chance of keeping them, especially if the coordinators and the position coaches don't have the greatest relationship with those individual players because you are with your position coach every single day, all day, even more so than the offensive coordinator, right? You are with them all day at practice. You are with them all day during meetings. And so that relationship, if that relationship isn't working, then it can cause a lot of tension uh, for the player and, and the receiver's coach. I guess in my scenario, the receiver's coach. So you've known a lot of people who've played college football, various programs, and any friends of yours or whatnot as you've come, as you've talked with them, 
Did you ever think, uh, hey, I wish we had that, whatever that is at BYU? I think because of the year that I was there, it was such a, one, I was coming from a situation where we didn't have anything, mm-hmm. right? Have the, you know, the locker room, the swag, right? The travel amenities, we didn't have any of that. And so when I came to BYU, it was like, I was just grateful for all of the resources. Like the fact that we got food, you know, uh, on the plane and the fact that we weren't sitting next to the general public was like, this is awe inspiring, right? The fact that we chartered a plane, uh, instead of having to go through TSA and sit next to people who were, you know, excited for fall break in Hawaii. Um, you know, like it was, like it was while, while I was there. Um, but when you look at the actual culture that, that comes with that, you know, there are very few things in today's BYU football program that are missing from the other top tier programs. For instance, BYU has soap in the showers and at times Hawaii didn't. Correct. Exactly. You brought your own soap. Let that sink in. (laughs) Do you think being a player's coach can have any negative effect on what you're trying to accomplish? Absolutely. It it definitely can get in the way of the end goal, especially when it comes to winning ballgames. If you're too focused on pleasing the players and what they want and making their environment enjoyable and right. You can very quickly get away from the success and the focus on winning ball games. Once you find that balance. And I think in the last two to three years, Kalani has found the balance of being a player's coach and turning that focus to winning games. Um, that is a very, very tough, tough combination to uh, to master, and it's a very tough combination to beat when you have that type of environment. Uh, and so, you know, if you're just on the, hey, let's have fun, let's please the players, right, uh, let's make sure that they're happy and they're satisfied, we hope that's what brings the wins, then you're going to find yourself in a very fun, you know, exciting three and ten program, yeah. year in and year out. <laughs> That was good right up until the end. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and that's what, and, and that's, that's, that's where we were at, at Hawaii. Uh, I think my junior year, we went seven and seven. And, um, or my sophomore year, we went seven and seven. I think my junior year, we maybe won four or five games. Right. And it was, it was fun. Like it was a cool environment to be in, but when, you go to Michigan, you go to even Boise State, and you're losing by 45 points. Um, it's, a, it's a tough reality check. So as a, uh, as a former Cougar and viewing this with maybe a little insight, but not as much as you would prefer to answer this next question definitively, if BYU and Washington can, or BYU, if USC and Washington come calling and you know how big their checkbooks are and the kind of money they might throw, throw around, how strong do you think BYU will come? Not to match dollar for dollar, because that seems like that wouldn't happen, but to make sure that everybody knows I'm valued, I got a really good situation, and the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence, even if the green money is piled much higher. There, there are two, <laughs> two very critical aspects to this, and... I know a lot of people say these things, but this is when, when Kalani says this, it is 100% true and it's affected a lot of his decisions. Um, the money is one aspect of it. From the outside looking in, you have a two programs that can offer a ton, a ton of money. If BYU can come close and, you know, I think within a million dollars a year, right? If they can come within a million dollars a year of what a USC or a Washington offers and 
Kalani's wife gives the green light to stay or go, it doesn't matter really what that money what that money says. If Sister Shiitake says we're staying, they're staying. If Sister Shiitake says, "Hey, this feels right. We're going." They're going. Um, and so, you know, if BYU comes close and they have that support from her, then now, you know, they're going to stay. The money will continue to roll in however it does, right? Uh, but that that aspect of it is is huge to, to Kalani and their family. When you look at what he's done, what happened earlier to what's going on now, obviously it's substantially better now than it was earlier. What do you think some of the differences are? The balance. The balance of understanding the focus that he's putting on the players' wants and needs and how to actually translate that into wins, along with enabling the right people on the staff to make certain decisions that have affected the success on both sides of the ball. Um, from coordinators to position coaches, the, the enablement and kind of the uh, green light, right. To do as they, to do as they wish and to trust them uh, has been, has been huge. So if you just cut right to the chase, is he going or is he staying? What do you think? Uh, as as a outside, as very much of an outsider to this situation, um, I think it would be very, very hard to turn down a USC. I think the Washington situation, the Washington environment, the Washington culture is in a very, very you know, deep, dark place uh, ever since Coach Pete left. I think USC is a place that can be flipped around. Um, you can already tell by the, the coaches that are there currently, right, that stuck around after Coach Elton left. Um, I, 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 it would be very, very hard to say no to, to a USC opportunity. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver. Dylan, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Of course, as always. There's Dylan Colley on the Cougars, Scott Mitchell on the Utes, and the Oregon Ducks. Next. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's the biggest Pac-12 game of the year for Utah and a potential preview of the conference championship game as the Oregon Ducks come to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a showdown against the Utes. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4.30 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk football with Scott Mitchell, co-host of Unrivaled, Utah football radio analyst. He joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. Scott, good morning. Hey, what's up? Good morning. Well, I got multiple things I want to talk to you about. I was looking this up uh, with the state championships coming up, and I saw Springville is playing Lehigh for the 5A title. And Springville hasn't won since 85. Is there any tie to you with that 85 game? You know, it's funny you should ask me that, but yes, there is. Uh, Actually, it was the first and only time that little old Springville has won a state championship in football. Been to this championship game on numerous occasions, but never won it since. Aha! I thought that was probably it, but it was before my time. I didn't have the years down. I just tried to count back from, uh, well, the, the the blowout games in 88 and 89 with, uh, with Utah and BYU, and I'm like, that had to have been Scott's team. That had to have been. You know, it's funny, too, because 
I've played in a lot of football games, and you just mentioned one, you know, when we beat BYU in, in 88 and you know, played professionally for 12 years. One of the greatest games I ever played in, though, was playing in that state championship in high school because you're a young kid and you grow up in a small town, and that's your dream when you play football. It's like, we, we want to win a state championship. And, and to actually go and do it and do it for the first time in your life was it was so vivid and still just holds a, a really precious place in my part. My heart is one of my my best memories. All right, before we get into all the uh, college football, we want to talk with you. We are giving away tickets at uh, thirty minutes after every hour. We got jazz tickets to give away at eight thirty right now. Two tickets. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. Be the 12th caller right now. Yaka will hook you up with tickets to see the 76ers and the Jazz tonight. If you don't win now, we'll do it at 9.30. If you don't win then, we'll have them all day long right through Unrivaled with Scott this afternoon. So more chances to win. So, Scott, I think Cam Rising is the best quarterback in the Pac-12 and I remember interviewing him when he first got to campus and he wasn't going to be playing. He was going to be redshirting. And I came away thinking, man, this guy has got a quiet confidence about him and he doesn't really care who they're bringing in, why they're bringing in somebody, this guy, that guy, or whatever it might be. He's just going to go beat him out. And I've been on that bandwagon for a good while. I thought he should have started earlier in the season. He didn't, but nevertheless, here he is. The team's rolling offensively. What, in your eyes, makes him as good as he is? Well, I would agree with you, actually. I, I think he's playing the best at quarterback. And there, there are some good quarterbacks, at, you know, uh, Jaden Daniels at Arizona State and Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA. But... The thing that jumps out at me about Cam Rising, this is this is the first time this guy started. I mean, he's I mean he's never played in college football, and you normally see with a with a guy like that, there's like a, a growth curve. You know, there's there you, you see you see uh, moments of brilliance, and then you see oh boy, that's a dumb mistake, and you really haven't seen that from Cam aside from you know maybe. Maybe some inaccuracy on passes, but that's that's gotten a lot better as as the season's gone on, and he's getting more consistent with that. But this guy, he can legitimately beat you throwing the football and and running it, and and he's not just a run uh, out of desperation. I mean, this guy's a he's a legitimate run threat. He's about as dual a threat quarterback as there is certainly in the Pac-12, and and he's and he's up there with with people across the country. But it was it was the moment he went in at San Diego State, and it has I mean he, he hasn't flinched. He's just had this this energy, and he's had this take this Utah football team, put it on my shoulders, and I'm going to lead you guys there. And everyone's bought into this. Everybody has bought into this. Crazy thing about Utah, they're being energized, led, and the, the most. Uh, powerful part of their whole team is their offense, which probably keeps Kyle Whittingham up at night because he's such a defensive-minded coach. So when you watch the uh, Utes defensive line and you see Oregon's ability to run the ball, and the quarterback, Anthony Brown, can run it, they've got their star running backs hurt, but their second and third running backs have been breaking off big plays as well. Do you think Utah's defensive front is up to the Oregon run game? Of, of all the, the teams that you play all year in the Pac-12, Oregon is that tough up front. Uh, the offensive line is always good. They're always well coached. They're physical. They, they thrive on being the tough guys. And that's on both sides of the ball. And that's how Utah has built itself. Uh, you, but you've got some young guys – who have had to mature through the season. I mean, there's there at times have been nine freshmen on the field for Utah on defense. And so I've, I've, I've gradually seen the defensive line, this whole entire defense grow up and, and really understand where their assignments, because there have been, there have been times when Utah has been vulnerable uh, against the run, but it, it's something that continues to evolve and improve as the season goes on. And, uh, Cole Bishop last week, who's kind of this hybrid nickel uh, safety linebacker position, played really well against Arizona last week. And he's healthy, and he, he hasn't been healthy. So, so Utah's about as healthy as it's been all year on defense. 
and and they know this. They know that if you're going to beat Oregon, really, if you're going to beat anyone you, in the Pac-12, you, you have to stop people from running the football, but especially Oregon, because the quarterback's average when he has to throw the ball, and, and you make make Oregon one-dimensional. Yeah, you got a really good shot at, at winning the game, but but it will definitely be the test of all tests for Utah this year, stopping the run. So in a big game like this, little things matter, right? And you look at special teams, could be a difference maker. A few years back, uh, when they had a big game, uh, special teams, a big punt return that they lost. But uh, the punt team here has not been good this year, whether it's getting it blocked or just not punting the ball well enough. How much concern do you have there? It's a massive concern. I mean, it's been a consistent problem all year. It's not like, okay, we got it fixed. Problem is, they changed punters, they got that fixed, so the guy's actually punting the ball a lot quicker. They changed some guys, the personal protectors, the three guys that stand in front of the the punter, they're blocking now. But now it's breakdowns on the guys at the line of scrimmage. I mean, they just whiff blocked. This was, these were, you know, not chump players. I mean, this was Devin Lloyd, one of your best players who's on the punt team, and he kind of just, you know, had a had a brain fart and, and just didn't block his guy and, and let him go. And, and uh, the, the thing, I think, you know, and I'm not making excuses because it is a concern and they haven't dealt with it, they haven't coached it, they haven't executed it consistently all year. They also haven't punted a lot, and especially since Cam Rising's come in. You know, so there's not a lot of opportunities to kind of get – game reps to kind of figure stuff out. In fact, I think last week was probably the most they punted in, you know, in quite a while. So uh, the kickoff team, which was a problem earlier on in the year, they've had so many kickoffs because they've been scoring so many putt touchdowns. I mean, Utah's the, the leading scoring team in the Pac-12 that they're starting to figure out actually kickoffs and they're getting those reps. and uh, the, All the problems are correctable, but it's just about – Coaches coaching it better and players executing better. So, as much as we go into this Utah Oregon game, Scott Mitchell joining us here. Uh, as much as we go into this Oregon game, and we look at the Utes, I just can't help but look at an Oregon team that they had the great win at Ohio State, and that is awesome. But five of their first seven games were by one score, and they did win four of the five, and Stanford got them in overtime. But now the last three weeks. They've won every game 10, 14, 23 points. They're blowing people out or at least winning comfortably and not sweating it in the, you know, the final seconds. And I'm curious if you think Oregon has gotten better and is much better than the team that we saw in September and early October, or it was Colorado and Washington, Washington State changing coaches, and so they just hit a soft spot in, their soft spot in the schedule. They look better, but it's fool's gold, and they are there for the taking when they play the Utes. What do you think? No matter what, Oregon has athletes. I mean, I mean, they've done an amazing job of recruiting the last, you know, really since Mario Cristobal's been there. I mean, it's a destination place for players in the Pac-12. You got some of the best players in Utah that end up in Oregon. Uh, it's a great pro, you know, so they get really good players. And they, and you know, they've had health issues. They've had a lot of guys out. I mean, you talk about some of the running backs have been out, mm-hmm. the offensive line, and even defensive line. I mean, they've they they've had injury issues. And, and if you look at Utah and you think of the Utah football team against uh, BYU and San Diego State, I mean, Utah looks completely different now than they did then. And there's an evolution, whether it's players getting back, because that's what happened with the offensive line at Utah. A lot of injuries early on. They finally got some guys that they could settle on and get a consistent group in there, and they play, and they, and they get better because they play. So I think that's, that's some of it with Oregon. It's, but they've always got talent, and then and then you've always got really crappy teams in the Pac-12. I, I mean, when Utah played Stanford a couple of weeks ago, I don't, I don't, I've just I was I probably say I was just shocked at least because Stanford didn't show up and they looked terrible. And and you have you know an UCLA playing Utah, I just expected a better game. Uh, Arizona State, I expected a better game. So I don't know how good even any of the teams in the Pac-12 are. And so I really, I really, and it is a question for me, I don't know how good Oregon is, really. Uh, Because you know they have athletes, you know they're well coached, but who have they played? And and, and I think there are holes in their team. I mean, I'm not totally sold on the quarterback. He's a great runner, but but throwing the ball 
you know, he's just he's been really, really kind of shaky and in, inconsistent. So uh, I think to me, uh, I, one of the things I really want to find out Saturday night is who really Oregon is, because I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting because Kyle, obviously, he lives and dies by stopping the run. And Oregon is really good at that. And the passing isn't as good. So I'm wondering what Oregon's offensive philosophy is going to be. Are they just they're just going to be determined? We have to run the ball, so we're going to continue to run the ball. Uh, or do they think, well, Utah is just going to stack it against us, so we need to spread it out right from the start. I'm intrigued as to how they're going to handle that. I don't really know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it changes for either team. I don't think it changes for Utah. I mean, you you have to you have to stop the run. Like you just. I mean, there's just no way around that. No matter what. Now, how how they do that and what they do to stop it, because one of the things Utah's done is a lot a lot more run blitzing on rundowns uh, to get that penetration, that early penetration to to kind of stop plays before they started because in the past they've been able to do it with just their front four and I don't know that they're quite that good this year so they've had to resort to a little bit of that uh and and they've you know they've had they've kind of had some issues but that but Utah is just gonna they have to stop the run and Oregon is like Oregon is Oregon is arrogant right they're they're, they're like we're Oregon and and we we run the football this is who we are and this is what we're all about and I don't I don't see that changing and 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 the you know these coaches look we all have our egos and these coaches are no different and 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 they know um, they know who their DNA what their DNA is and who they are and they're gonna they're gonna be who they are and and uh, to me that's exciting it's like we're gonna stand toe to toe in the middle of the ring and we're gonna box this thing out there's no juking and jiving and and dancing around we are just gonna we are gonna go blow for blow for blow and see who the better team is. You look at their run-pass distribution, and their game, and a little bit of it surprised me when I looked it up. I think that they are um, essentially Air Force. Um, it's not it's not the true option, right? But right. they'll run zone read stuff, and they'll run and they'll run and they'll run, and then they try to hit you with a big pass play. Now against Washington State, they ran the ball forty seven times. They only threw it twenty two. They were the team you just described. We're going to run it. You stop us. You can't. We run for 300 yards. They ran 47 times for 306 yards. And when they throw, they're looking to hit big plays. It's not classic drop-back guy. He's not. He's, he's not. I don't think he's going to be. But he has a completion of 30 yards or more in every single game this year. But they do have these outlier games. If the Utes just totally commit, we are going to run blitz, we are going to stop the run and make you throw. Against UCLA, they threw it 39 times and only ran it 24. That's not who I think Oregon is. But it, I guess it's who they needed to be in that game, and it won them the game. So they can do it if the Utes really – now, it was, it was tight. It was, they won 34-31 at the Rose Bowl. Um, so I wonder how much the Utes will commit to it and if they're ready to face a team that throws 39 times and throws it down the field and is trying to hit on big plays. Yeah, and 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 it's hard it's hard not to buy into that, but you have you have to commit to stopping the run. It's it's just it's a it's a foundational principle at Utah. It won't change. Uh, they'll 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 commit to that, and and really really the best way to stop the run <laughs> is to be explosive offensively. And if Utah can be explosive and say, okay, you know, you get a lead, you get a fourteen point lead, you get you, then or, or or Oregon knows. You know we have to match we have to match score for score with Utah because because they're they're that explosive that that really helps your defense because then you then you become um, less you know you be you, you become you become one dimensional and and I just I just believe this quarterback will make mistakes and and I know I, I hear what you're saying but I just think consistently no he's not a guy that that's uh, going to throw the ball and if you. If you can make him move in the pocket and make him run around, he's even less efficient. And if and if you create a situation where he's one dimensional, I mean that's always it's always the philosophy with Utah: create an offense that's one dimensional, yeah. stop the run. And of course, in the past, it, it worked well, but the offense wasn't what it is today, and that that makes Utah even that more dynamic. Um, I'm going to take my chances if I'm Utah, saying Oregon, you got to beat us to throw the football. 
Okay, Scott, tell me why do I have this? Tell me why I have this memory of you. I think you were in Detroit, and it was Halloween, and you dressed up as your coach with a cigar (laughs) in your mouth, and you were mocking him. Why do I have this memory? Well, it's a crazy dream you're having. I've never heard of that before. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) It's one of those things where the real world saw what goes on in a locker room. And and it was a it was a moment that I thought was private. It was a private team Halloween party. Um, there's a lot of um, ribbing back and forth. And, and I mean, one of the one of the one of the most precious places in the world is an NFL locker room. Um, the it, it really is. It's it, there's you can give guys a hard time. You don't care about race. You don't care about religion. You don't. It's like nothing is off limits. Uh, when you joke with guys, it's funny. Uh, no one takes it personal. Now, I don't know if it's that way today because we just live in a different world. Social media, um, the woke culture that we have, whatever it is. But that was what was great. And and unfortunately, something that was private got out publicly. Someone video uh, videotaped it uh, before there was such a thing. And uh, and and so it was just it, it was just a funny thing that would be normal and and the public was like, you know, how dare he make fun of his coach and you know and and I was and I was making fun of my coach and and the next day I actually talked to my coach because it got out publicly and all he said to me was, I understand I was at a party last night, I just want to know if I had a good time or not, <laughs> and that was the end of it. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a negative. I thought it was a funny thing that it's just lasted in my mind all these years because it was hilarious. I have more people remembered that than anything else. And it, <laughs> it was, like it was, it was, it was really, it was, uh, it, it, and the reason it had, was perceived as being negative is the, is the day before we were playing the New York Giants and halfway through the game, the coach benched me. And so, Everyone thought it was me mocking him as a retaliation oh. for being benched. Which is stupid. But you already had the costume and you were already committed to it regardless. Yeah, I mean, it was, was how yeah. And it was funny. I mean, it was you know, funny. It was, I remember yeah, it. it was hilarious. Yeah. And, and so everyone laughed about it and, and including Coach Fonts. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny, it's just a funny relationship you have with like your coaches, and your teammates and, and a lot of it is it, there are times when it's when you hate each other and it's heated and and because uh, you're you're so competitive and it, and it's such a pressure uh, environment that you live in and being able to blow off steam but also being able to kind of scream and yell at each other and know that it's okay and later on it will be fine and and you just kind of roll with it and you have those moments and and everyone's okay at the end of the day which is really what happened. And who is the Lions coach who's won the only playoff game they've won in the last 64 years? <laughs> I mean, Wayne, Wayne Fonz, a lot of people make fun of the guy and, and whatever, but I had no, I never had any issues with him. He was a guy that lets you be a pro, and, and, he, and he let his coaches coach, and, and he just kind of steered the ship. But he was, um, I, I never, I'd never had any, any issues, you know, with Coach Fonz, ever. All right, well, we'll see if uh, Springville has any issues with uh, Lehigh Friday morning at 11, the old alma mater going for state title number two. Good luck with that. Thank you, sir. Here's Scott Mitchell on Unrivaled this afternoon at 3 o'clock. When we come back, what is trending all the headlines next? Stay with us.